All right, let's dive in. We got to pray bigger, better, and beyond. We're in the season of praying bigger, better, and beyond. And the entire season is about taking your life deeper than asking in prayer. I like to start with a piece from Jesus' prayer that he taught us. Matthew 6, 11 through 12. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Here is the thing, and this is where for us as a church, one of the things I refuse to do is sell you a shallow, surfacey spiritual life that doesn't pass the test of time, the test of trials, or the test of temptation. We've got to be deeper in our faith than the things that come against us, or what happens is we find ourselves stuck. And one of the areas that I've recognized where we get real stuck is when our prayer life becomes asking and our theology of God revolves around what he's willing to give us. In other words, if your prayer life is only about you asking God, then God's goodness is only about what he's willing to give you from the list of things that you're asking him for. But what if he's deeper than that? Or better yet, who in here has asked or, or made, a, uh, made a prayer request that God didn't answer? Who in here? Come on, you've had unanswered prayers. Sometimes I thank God. <laughs> right? Who in here? So, and, and by the way, you can look at your spouse and say, and I'm so glad he didn't answer those prayers. Right? Because you were in seventh grade at a dance and you were praying for that girl to be your future wife. And she's nowhere in the picture right now, and you thank God for it. But what happens, listen to me, when our prayer life is about asking, and our, our understanding of God and his love for us and our interaction in prayer has everything to do with me asking God for things, and my evaluation of prayer is whether or not I get those things, and when I don't get them, what's wrong? Or is there anything wrong? We have to have a prayer life that is deeper than asking. And hear me, I am all for asking. I am a big asker. I, I believe in asking God for things. But as you will see throughout this message, those things that we ask for, if they don't come into submission of the Lordship of Christ, if they don't come into submission of God's glory and God's majesty and his ability to do things that I don't understand that are better for me than what I want for myself, then we will constantly find ourselves in this cycle of prayer where it all revolves around me, my wants, my desires, and when I don't get them, something could be wrong. Or is it? Bigger, better, and beyond. And you have to have language for this. This is what the whole thing we're giving is language for prayer beyond asking. What do I do when I ask God for something and I don't get what I ask for? I have got to be able to declare, declare God is bigger than anything I face. He is better than I can imagine. And he loves me beyond my worst sins. Why? Because if I'm in prayer and I'm asking him to do something that seems bigger than me and he doesn't do it, I've got to believe that he's still bigger yet. If I'm asking him to do something and it doesn't happen, I've got to believe what he wants for me is better than what I want for myself. And when I enter into prayer, if I'm looking at myself through the lens of my sin, it's hard for me to connect with him and experience intimacy with him because I've disqualified myself from his presence because of what I think about myself. That's next week, right? But when God is bigger than anything I face, he is better than I can imagine, and he loves me beyond my worst sins, my prayer life goes deeper than asking to experiencing. 
And when I enter into a prayer life of experiencing, his presence begins to transform me. I begin to grow in intimacy with him. I begin to see him differently. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. First, Eugene Peterson, a genius when it comes to prayer, late theologian, brilliant man, pastor, author, translated the Bible. Here's what he has to say about prayer, and in particular praying the Psalms. He, he references the Psalms as the handbook of prayer for the people of God, right? Here's what he says. In a world of prayers that indulge the religious ego and cultivate passionate longings, the Psalms stand out of as, a, as a kind of angular austerity. Left to ourselves, we pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God that we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us. In other words, what Peterson is saying is this. If we're only willing to enter into prayer and to pray about things that we want and evaluate our prayer life based on things that we get, we may be talking to God, but we're not talking to the God who talks to us. Because the God who talks to us is deeper than our asking. Look at this example, Psalm 41, 4 through 5. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. I've tried to recite all your wonderful deeds. I would never come to the end of them. The Psalms and prayer in general is not about us getting what we want from God. It's about us learning to trust God in life. Prayer, I enter into not saying, God, here's what I want, but I enter into prayer saying, God, teach me to trust you better. And teach me to trust you in a yes, and teach me to trust you in a no. And teach me to trust you in valleys, and teach me to trust you in mountaintops. Nobody models this better than Job. Job is our biblical example of walking through absolute hell and yet trusting the Lord. Listen to Job when we walk into uh, Job 1.21. This is in response to Job losing his children, his wealth, his entire life as he knew it. He says, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of God of the Lord. Isn't that wild? Isn't that amazing? God gave it to me. God took it away. God said yes. God said no. Praise the name of the Lord. Is that how we are in prayer? God, give me a yes. God, give me a no. God, here's what I long for. God, here's what I don't want to have happen. But either way, no matter what, praise the name of of the Lord. Listen to Job a little more in response to his wife. So his wife comes to him the next chapter and she says, you're nuts. You're out of your mind. Our children have died. Our wealth is gone. You've got boils and sores all over your body. Your friends think you're a loser. Life is miserable right now. And she says to him, curse God and die, Job. Listen to his response. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. I tried that with Anna one time. Didn't work out well. <laughs> Doesn't land doesn't land. You got to be a prophet to pull something like that off. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never 
anything bad. Here's what gets me. So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. In other words, Job said, you foolish woman. Should we only say yes? Should we only take God at his yes? Should we only receive God at his yes? Or can we receive him at his no as well? Can we believe whether or not whatever is happening to us that God has better for us or that God is bigger than what we are experiencing or that God loves me beyond what I've been doing? Can we enter into that or do we only take God at his yes? Listen, this is, this is Job's revelation. This is in response to his friends have left him, his family has died, his wife is calling him to curse God. He's got false accusations made against him. He's got boils all over his body. He is rejected from society. Everyone is gossiping about him, but nobody will talk to him. Have you ever been stuck in that place of loneliness, that your sin gets found out, or there's a false accusation about you, or someone's saying something about you, and you can tell everyone is avoiding you, and no one will talk to you, but everyone is talking about you, and everyone is making accusations about you, and you just, you feel this isolated loneliness where all eyes are on you, but nobody is for you. And yet Job comes to Job 19, 23 through 27. Oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead, engraved forever in the rock. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand upon the earth at last and after my body has decayed yet in my body I will see God I will see him for myself yes I will see him with my own eyes and I am overwhelmed at the thought here's the challenge many of us who know the story of Job and many times when it's preached, we love to jump to the very end of the book of Job where his latter days are better than his former days. And he has gotten 10x the blessing. Preachers will call it double for your trouble, baby. Where Job's whole life, he goes through all of this trouble and then he gets double for his trouble. And he's, he's prospering again and his, he has children again and he's got grandchildren again. And he's got land again and he's got wealth again. Here is what we need to understand. That's Job's blessing. That's not Job's revelation. Hear me. You don't want blessing without revelation. That's called asking and receiving. You, Job's revelation is in Job chapter 19. Job's revelation is, I can walk through the greatest season of life where I'm rich and I'm prospering and everything's great, and I can walk through the worst season of life where I lose everything, everyone turns their back on me, everyone's talking bad about me, there's false accusations surrounding me, my own wife thinks I'm crazy, all of my children are gone, my wealth is gone, my entire household is crumbling, yet I might believe my Redeemer lives and one day I will see him face to face and I am overwhelmed at the thought. Don't trade blessing for revelation. Don't run through life just asking and receiving and asking and hoping to receive and miss out on what God's trying to do in the know as well. What is that called? That is called a God who is better than I can ever imagine.
that is doing things in me and through me beyond what I can understand. And if I get so hung up in the fact that it's not according to my plan, it's not according to my ask, and it's not according to what I want, I will lose sight of what God's doing for my own bitterness and upset. I'll lose sight of how he is working deeply in me. So how do we get to this place in prayer? How do we get to this place where we're deeper than our asking and we're, we're deeper than what we're going through so that we can go to God and we can ask him for things, but we can also receive him at his yes, receive him at his no, receive him at highs, receive him at lows, and know that he lives and continue to worship him in peace in the sacred space of prayer, prayer in intimacy and in his presence. There are three things we have to be willing to submit to him. Three things before we enter. You've got to be deeper than your ask. Deeper than your ask. What are the three things that we have to submit? Number one, we have to submit our plans. God's plans for me are better than the plans I have for myself. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 12. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. Mind you, contextually, the children of Israel are in Babylonian captivity right now. They're locked up. Their homeland has been burned to the ground. Their houses are nothing but burnt stones. You remember that sermon season? They've been in captivity. Everything's been taken from them. Their language has been stripped from them. Their children have been taken from them and been enslaved as workers. Their culture is completely rearranged. Their worship has been destroyed. And yet God is saying, in the midst of that, I still have plans for you. Listen to verse 12. In those days when you pray... I will listen. God is better than I can imagine, even when I feel trapped in this place of captivity. Romans 8, 28 is the outpouring of that in the New Testament. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Isn't it interesting Jesus' call to discipleship was not to come up with your own plans or partner with God to fulfill the plans that you have for your life. Jesus' call to discipleship is to give up your plans. Listen, in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because his plans for us are better than the plans that we have for ourselves. Watch Jesus live this out. Watch Jesus live this out in prayer. Matthew twenty two forty two. 42. Father, what does he say? Facing crucifixion. Facing the end of his life. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. That's how we go deeper than our asking in prayer. God, if it is your will, I pray you do it. Nevertheless, don't let anything happen to me that is of me and let it be of you. Let it be your will, let it be your way, and let your plans work themselves out whether or not they align with my limited thinking and my plans that I have for me. It got cold last week, huh? 
You get cold? Like, I usually make fun of Texans, right? I'm from Kansas City. You know that team that's still alive in the playoffs tonight? Um, I'm from Kansas City. And Kansas City, like, you saw the game last week. It's negative 20 degrees, right? Like, we actually have cold. So when I see Texans walking around with earmuffs and puffer coats on when it's 51 outside, I'm like, you know. No, like you, don't, you don't know what cold is. I can take you back to my home and I can show you cold. Well, okay, last week it got cold. Like Tuesday, I think it was 16 degrees outside when I went outside and it was freezing. And we have this ice cream for you, buddy. We have this kid in our neighborhood named Milo. And man, he's a funny kid. And it was, it was Tuesday, they canceled school because it was so stinking cold. And all of a sudden there's a knock on our door and I answer it and it's Milo. And Milo, is, he's, he is so frozen, like his face has gone from red to white. You know, I was just like, that's when you know it's cold. Like, not rosy cheeks. When, when you are like frozen, so, he had like frozen snot bubbles, like coming out of his face. His lips were all chapped. His eyes were barely open. And he's, he's at the door. He's in a hoodie, a stocking cap, and rollerblades. And so I said, Milo, what are you doing? He said, come out, come out and play. I said, Milo, it's freezing out here. Go home and warm up, man. He said, I, 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 I feel great. It's, it's not cold at all. It's not cold at all. Can, can, can you play? I was like, no, Milo, not right now. Maybe if it gets to like um, above freezing, it may be a good time for, but, but not right now, Ronald. So uh, I closed the door and Kanan's standing there. And Kanan said, Dad, can I go play with Milo? I said, no, but it's 16 degrees outside. You're not going outside to play. You know what he said to me? <laughs> Dad, do you even love me? <laughs> Dad, do you even, do you even love me? <laughs> I, I got him right back. Look at me. So, like, I'm, uh, we, we actually had a great moment about this, right? Because, like, you know, I, I'm thinking, like, how can I, how can I, and, and so I, I called him and I said, hey, come here. I said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And he said, yeah. Yeah, I trust you. And I said, well, then can you trust me enough to know that I love you as much in a no as I do in a yes? At this point, we're getting deep, right? He's like, I just want to play with Milo, Dad. Like, <laughs> welcome to being in a preacher's home, right? I'm like, oh, an opportunity to align theology. Come right here, buddy, you know? But like, I'm like, hey, listen, if you trust me and you really trust me, can you trust me as much in my no as you can in my yes? Why? Because believe it or not, my plans for you are better than your plans for you. That is the message of God to us throughout the entirety of Scripture. Can you trust me? Not can you take me at my yes and be mad at me at my no, but can you trust me in my yes, can you trust me in my no, and see me work out the perfect plans that I have for you. That is the space of submission in prayer. When we can go to God and we can say, I, I trust you whether or not it is a yes, whether it is a no, I trust you whether I get what I want or don't get what I want. I believe my Redeemer lives and one day I will see you face to face. All right. Second, one, we've got to submit our plans. When you submit your plans to God, you enter into prayer with an expectation of his presence, not an expectation of a present. Give me what I want. 
here's what I need. Will you hand this to me? But I just want to experience you. I have no agenda here. I know what I want to present to you, and I know what I'd love for you to bless. And if you don't bless it, I'll, I'll receive what you have for me is better anyway. Number two, what God wants for me is better than what I want for myself. All right, time for me to have a little time of confession. Um, easily the hardest space for me. Um, I, I've told you guys know this. I got two special needs kids, right? Um, I got I got two children who, uh, man, you talk about having to get to a space of trusting what God wants for me is better than what I want for myself. Um, I I remember when we. Uh, my daughter, Zion, was, was born, and then she got to be about 18 months, and we noticed there were some sensory things, and we noticed language had regressed, and we, we noticed a few things, but didn't, didn't really know, first-time parents, right? Oh, maybe this is normal, maybe we're just going through a thing. And Anna goes to the pediatrician, and, and when she got to the pediatrician, uh, pediatrician starts asking Anna questions, and, and Anna didn't know what was going on, and she's answering questions about Zion, and after these questions, the pediatrician looked at Anna and said, you, got, you guys should get a neurologist, and you guys should, should consider looking into autism. And we're like, what? Like, what is it? And she, we didn't know it, but she gave her the MCHAT, which is the modified checklist for autism in toddlers. And she said Zion scored 7 out of 10 on that checklist, and anything above 3 is considered autism. And, and I'll tell you, you talk, about, um, you talk about not knowing where to go or what to do in prayer. What do I do? God, heal autism, heal autism, heal autism. And we dove into that and we spent, and then we, we got into this space where like, you know, when your prayer life isn't matching your reality, like I'm praying for healing, for miraculous healing, for language to fill her mouth, for the sensory issues to go away, for inflammation to be toned down, for self-injury to stop, for behaviors to stop, and God to do this miraculous sweeping work. And then I'm living in a reality that is not in accordance to my prayer life. And I'm asking myself, am I doing something wrong? Am I missing it here? What's wrong with me? Do I not have enough faith? Have I done something in my past to mess all this up? Like, wh what is happening that I, I can't wrap my mind around it, right? And then we got to this space where like, you know, Anna, I remember a moment where Anna was, was all of her friends were taking their daughters to do pedicures. And Anna was like, I, I, I feel, she said, I feel like I'm losing my daughter because all my friends are getting this time with their little girl to go get pedicures and I'm dropping her off at therapy for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week in ABA therapy. I feel like I'm losing my daughter. I, I wrote about this in the ebook. Like one of my greatest, um, one of my greatest wants was to dance with my daughter at, at her wedding. And also, I, I get real emotional thinking about it. Um, not because she's going to marry some less adequate dude, right? But because outside of a miracle of God, I'll probably never see that day. There probably won't be that day in my future, and there was a time where we mourned that deeply. There was a time where we sat down on the couch and we were both in tears just saying to each other, what do we do? We don't get to do this, we don't get to do that, we don't get to do this, and then all of a sudden, God did this work, this, this work in us where it, it was almost, he just spoke so clearly to our hearts, what if, what if I have something better for you 
than everything that you're mourning? What if I want to teach you something different in the midst of your life and what you're walking through and the challenges you're facing than what your friends are experiencing or what your other families are walking through or what people on Instagram get to do with their children? What if I, what if I have better for you? What if I want for you better than what you want for yourself? And then we, we start embracing that and we start praying that. And we, we went from praying against this, praying against this, praying against this, and praying against this to just saying, God, I believe what you want for me could be so much better than what I've wanted for myself. And here's what I realized. I realized my list of wants was keeping me from what God wanted to do in me. I realized his no was one of the greatest gifts that I've ever, you want to learn loyalty, you want to learn joy, you want to learn purity, you want to learn innocence, come serve at night to shine. Get around somebody with special needs, right? You will experience the purest, most beautiful, innocent, kind-hearted, loving, and loyal people on the face of the planet. And all of a sudden I realized this may not be the devil's work, this may be God's work. God may be moving in the midst of this. And then I have a friend who, this was kind of the icing on the cake for me. He's, he's got two sons with autism. And I, I like to stack my prayers. When I pray for one thing, if I know someone else is walking through it, I like to stack them onto it. So I'm praying for my daughter to be healed. And in the midst of praying for my daughter to be healed, um, I told him, I'm, I'm going to pray for your sons as well. So every time when I wake up, and Lord, would you heal Zion, fill her mouth with language, fill her brain with clarity, bless her in mighty ways, and give her a hope and a future and all these things. Then I bring in Andrew and Reagan, and I'm praying, praying for Andrew and Reagan to have the same thing, do all this. And I told Chuck one time, shout out to Chuck, sometimes he's watching online, I said, hey, I said, every time I pray for my daughter to be healed, I pray for your sons to be healed. And he, he looked at me and he said this to me. I thought this was so good. He said, man, Luke, I would love nothing more. I would love nothing more. And man, that would be beautiful. He said, but I want to ask you a question. He said, would you want to be the man you were before you had Zion and before you walked this journey? And before you've experienced the mountaintops of the miraculous and the deep pain of the valleys. And I thought to myself, no way. Absolutely no way would I want to be that self-centered, easily angered jerk that I was before I had this girl that I have to care for in different ways than most parents ever have to care for and I have to look after in different ways than most parents ever have to look after. And when I finally started embracing that, I went from feeling like I was being punished in prayer to I was being blessed in prayer. I went from feeling like I was in this tension of fighting with God to I was in this space of peace with God because I'm willing to receive whatever he has. Kara asked me a few, uh, uh, last week in the office, she said, uh, you, you used to never say anything about autism. You used to never say anything about having Zion who has, has autism. Why were you quiet for so long? And I told her one of two things. I said two things, really. Number one, um, I got some really bad spiritual advice, just Really bad spiritual advice, don't say anything, confess only the good, this, that, and the other. And, and we just suffered alone for, for a long period of time. The other was this, and, and I say this to my shame. There was a part of me that thought if I was just quiet enough for long enough, 
if I, was, if I just prayed long enough and fought hard enough and, and believed strong enough and, and confessed mightily enough and followed Jesus passionately enough and had enough faith that maybe it would just go away. And here's what I realized. I was praying against what he was trying to do. I was praying against some of the greatest blessings he was trying to give me. Yes, we may not dance at her wedding one day. And yes, Anna may not be able to take Zion to get pedicures. But we get to experience life in one of the most beautiful, holistic, pure ways. Our little girl still loves to run up and hug us and jump into our arms. And she is not out trying to chase boys or anything. And she likes this horse a little too much. And I'm a little upset about that. But as, like we experience life in a totally different way. And when I was willing to say, God, what you want for me is better than what I want for myself, my prayer life changed. And when my prayer life changed, the rest of my life changed. Can we enter into a space where we believe God wants better for us? Can we enter into a space where we believe that his yes and his no are equal amounts of love towards us? And then we'll finish here, and we've, we've really got to wrap up. Uh, God's thoughts are better than my thoughts. God's thoughts about me are better than the thoughts that I have about myself. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. Isn't that interesting that God is saying, I don't think anything like you think. The way I think is totally different than the way you think. And my ways, catch this, are far beyond anything you could imagine. Why do we pray, God, you are better than anything I could imagine? Because his ways are better than what we can understand. And his yes is better, his no is better, his plans are better, his wants are better, and his thoughts about us are are better for just as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Philippians 4 6. I love the book of Philippians. It's a book on joy, but the underbelly of the book of Philippians is prayer. How do we experience this joy, this, this everlasting joy, this peace that transcends all understanding? You will see throughout the book, Paul always goes to prayer. There is something under it that is prayer. How do you rejoice always? Prayer. How do you find death as gain? Prayer. How do you experience peace that transcends all understanding? Prayer. So listen to him when he says, Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. He, he gives us that as pray about everything, worry about nothing. Here is his application of that worked out two verses later, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard me say and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. We got we to end here. Um, we have a meeting Night to shine right now. So I'm going to wrap this up. You want to know how my illustration was going to end at the end? Download the ebook and read it. It's free. Um, but I would just tell you this, and this is a conviction of mine. We have to understand God thinks about us and his thoughts about us are better than our thoughts about ourselves. Here's the thing. We see ourselves through our sin. God sees us through his son. 
When I look at me, I've, I've told you this before, if you knew me, you knew the real me, you wouldn't be here listening to me preach. But if I knew the real you, we probably wouldn't let you in this church, right? Like, there's a trade-off here, right? And, and what God thinks about us is not according to those things. We enter into prayer and we say, man, I know the real me, the sinful me, the selfish me, the prideful me, the, the arrogant me. I know that me and I don't belong here. God welcomes us into prayer through the lens of his son that sees us healed, that sees us cleansed, that sees us forgiven, that sees his grace, washes over us next week. He loves me beyond my worst sins. How do we enter into prayer with a holy God being a sinful people? We have to understand this next week. But here's what we need to know for now. When I enter into prayer, if I'm willing to say, God, your plans are better than my plans. Your wants for me are better than the things I want for myself, and your thoughts about me are better than the things I am thinking right now. Not only does it inform our asking, but it takes us deeper in asking to a place of experiencing God and experiencing him in a way that is deeper than here's what I need from you.